passage in the Hall of Faith is the tale of two brothers. One would become a great hero of the faith and the other would become an infamous murderer. They were raised by the same parents in the same community. They learned about the same God, but they would take two very different paths. When we look at two people that had so much in common, we ask, what's the difference? Faith made all the difference. One lived by faith and the other did not. See, the Bible tells us here that what Abel did was accepted by God. And it was accepted by God because he did it by faith. You know that the Bible says that it's like a mirror. When we read the Bible, we see ourselves. We see things that we should change. Sometimes we see things that we should become. And sometimes, unfortunately, we see bad things that we, that we are. We look into the Bible and we, we see ourselves. And so today as we look into the lives of these, these two men, Cain and Abel, I want to invite you to see your future. You see, all of us have the potential to become great heroes of the faith. doesn't matter what you've done up until today. We still have the opportunity to turn to the Lord, follow him, and finish a great hero of the faith. But we also all have the potential to go down a path of self-destruction, to do things that will destroy our families, dishonor the Lord, bring all kinds of disruption in our lives just like Cain say pastor I'm never going to do anything like that I'm never going to murder anybody I'm never going to commit adultery I'm never going to embezzle money I'm never going to do anything like that and I want you to know that the moment that you say that with all confidence you've taken the first step down that path you've just lowered your defenses because that's how sin begins it's a spiral it's a steady progression to the end. And so as we think about our future, I want you to understand this. What we do today will determine who we are and where we are tomorrow. And so as we look at Cain and Abel, this man Abel who lived by faith, and because of that, God is still using him today. May he inspire us all to consider living by faith hebrews chapter 11 we just have one verse today it's verse four but even though it's just one short verse it's still the inspired word of god so out of recognition for that would you join me in standing as we read it together hebrews chapter 11 beginning in verse four the bible says by faith abel offered to god a more acceptable sacrifice than cain through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. Let's pray together. Father, help us to understand today how Abel was living by faith. Help us to be inspired by him. And Lord, I pray for every person present as an act of worship, we would honestly contemplate our lives, our choices, our thoughts, our attitudes, and ask ourselves whether we're living by faith or not. God, help us in this moment to be transformed by your word. For it's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, this man, Abel, the Bible says that he lived by faith. He lived by faith. And it tells us about a time in which him and his brother both brought a sacrifice. Sacrifice is an act of worship. And they brought this sacrifice, and Abel's sacrifice was accepted by the Lord, and Cain's was not. And so the Bible tells us that this man, Abel, was living by faith, and Cain was not. So when we ask ourselves, what does it mean to live by faith? One of the first things that we see from Abel's life is that faith leads us to worship God on his terms. That's the problem with the two sacrifices. Uh, one offered a sacrifice that was acceptable to God by faith, and the other did not. So the Bible describes these two offerings in Genesis. 
these two offerings in which one was accepted and one was not. In Genesis chapter 4, verses 1 through 7, it's the account of Abel and Cain's sacrifice. And here's what it says. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Well, if we were to read on there in chapter 4, we would find that instead of Cain taking the advice of God and ruling over sin, instead he yielded to temptation in his anger. He deceives his brother, leads him out of the field where he beats him to death with a rock. And so now we have two men. One who would be listed in, in Hebrews 11, this verse that we just read, the, the hall of faith where one person after another is listed and commended by God for their faith. And Cain, where it's simply recorded that he was a murderer. These, these two different offerings, if we think about their, their worship, Notice what the Bible tells us about, about Cain's offering. It says in verse 3 of Genesis 4, In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering. That's all it says, an offering of the fruit of the ground. So the Bible, by contrast, tells us some really important details about Abel's offering. It says about Abel's offering, And Abel also brought, notice this, of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. Now, the Bible here doesn't go into great detail about what they had been taught about bringing an offering to the Lord. We know later on all of the, the directions given by God in the Old Testament for how to bring an offering, how to present an offering, and what to bring. But the Bible doesn't go into all this here. But as we look at God's response to Cain, it seems pretty clear that Cain knew what he was supposed to do. And so he just, he just brings an offering and the Bible doesn't say, but since the, by contrast, it says that Abel brought the firstborn and he brought the fat portions, it leads us to think that Cain perhaps brought something of lesser worth, something that he didn't need, wasn't usable, or was no really sacrifice for him. Abel, by contrast, brings the very first that he receives, and he brings the fat portions. He said, well, Pastor, what, what, we don't offer animal sacrifice. We don't bring grain offerings. What can we actually learn from this today? Well, I think that when we worship God, part of our act of worship is acknowledging God's authority by following his directions for worship. There are times in life when God calls us to have wisdom and apply our intellect to think through a situation and figure out how to meet somebody's needs or, or how to communicate the gospel to somebody in a way that they'll understand. There's times when God calls us to be strategic. But there's other times when God gives us very clear directions. And when God gives us directions, we are simply to follow directions. We see all throughout the scripture where God gave them directions that he didn't give them the reason why. And yet later on, we begin to see there was a great, great reason for those directions. Think about the Passover lamb that not a bone of it was to be broken. And they didn't know in the Exodus that that was pointing toward Christ who would come and die on the cross and yet not a bone would be broken. Think about the directions for the lambs. They were to be brought without a spot. They were to be flawless. They didn't know that that was because it was to represent Christ who would come and be completely without sin. And so God gave them directions, but he didn't necessarily tell them why. That's why it's so important to follow God's directions. 
So think about some of the directions that God has given us for worship today. You may hate singing. I know a lot of people that go to church, they just don't like to sing. And so they just stand silent. They don't participate. But singing is part of God's instructions for worship. Different people have said to me throughout the years, the pastor, I don't know why we have all this music. I don't really like music. And why don't we just get right to the message? And I, I guess they were talking, maybe they had a good preacher wherever they were at before, and they just, they just wanted the whole thing to be the message. That's really the meat of it. That's, that's in their mind, that was the important part. All this first part was just fluff for people that like music. But that's totally unbiblical. Music is prescribed by God for worship. In Psalm 96, verses 1 and 2, this is what it says. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord, all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. I could spend the rest of our service reading commands in Scripture to sing in worship. But, but I think we all get the point. The singing is something that God has commanded as part of worship. It's not optional. We didn't add it in for people that just like it. It's just part of how God designed worship. <laughs> you may hate listening to preaching. Maybe you're gracious enough you wouldn't tell me that, but maybe you just really hate the preaching part. And you think, why can't we just sing about all the truth? Well, the preaching was also central to God's design for worship. In fact, in Acts chapter 10, verse 42, this is what Peter says about this. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. Preaching is commanded as part of worship. There'll never be a time when we advance beyond preaching. People for over 100 years have been predicting the death of the sermon, but it is never going away. You can make every argument in the world about how people have shorter attention spans because of technology and everything else, but I'm telling you that preaching is commanded by God as an act of worship. And so we follow God's plan. Maybe here today you're, you're watching the broadcast or you're listening to the broadcast because you don't like gathering in church. You love Jesus, but not the church. It's totally unbiblical. Gathering for worship is commanded by God. I know there are people that are physically not able to be here, and that's a whole different scenario. But if you choose not to come because you just don't want to be here, you just simply want to hear some music and hear the preaching, you've totally missed why we're gathered together for worship. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25, listen to what the Bible says about this. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Uh, in a broadcast, I can stir you up, but you can't stir me up. You have to come together to be able to stir each other up. Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. You see, just like Cain and Abel that had instructions for God, and Abel followed them, and he came, and he brought the firstborn, and he brought the fat portions to God. And his offering was accepted by God. He followed in faith what God had commanded him. You know, there's going to be things in the Bible you just don't understand. And at some point, you just have to decide, I don't know why God has commanded me to do this, but I'm just going to trust him, and I'm going to do it by, by faith. Maybe you think that tithing is optional, but you know, that's also commanded as a part of worship. In Malachi chapter 3, verses 7 through 10, listen to what the Lord said through the Old Testament prophet Malachi. He was confronting the whole nation of Israel. He said, from the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes. That's instructions. Another word for directions, instructions, commands. You have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? That's what God says to them. Will a man rob God, yet you are robbing me? But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes, which that, that word means tenth in Hebrew, in your tithes and contributions. 
You're cursed with a curse, for you're robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down a blessing until there is no more need. All of these things God has commanded as components of worship. And so why would we do them? It's because we believe. When we come to have faith in God, we live by faith. And so we come to worship on God's terms. Faith leads us to worship on God's terms, and faith also leads us to righteousness. Listen to what the Bible says about Abel here. Verse 4, Hebrews 11. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. God commending him by accepting his gifts. So the Bible says that this man, Abel, was righteous. And he found righteousness by putting his faith in God and living according to faith. So what is righteousness? Righteousness is to be right in God's eyes. In God's eyes means from God's perspective. Many people are right in their neighbor's eyes or in their eyes, but to be righteous means to be right in God's eyes. In Deuteronomy chapter 12, in this, this book of Deuteronomy, God was preparing the people to go into the promised land. He was giving them directions about what they were supposed to do if they're going to really excel and be prosperous. And here's what he says. You shall not do according to all that you're doing here today, everyone doing what is right in his own eyes. God warned us. He warned Israel then. He warns us now through Scripture that the standard of what is right is not what appears to be right in our own eyes. I've discovered through years of ministry, counseling people, talking to people, trying to lead people, I've discovered there is no sin so big or so heinous that you can't justify it as right in your own eyes if you really want to. I've heard people justify some unbelievable acts of sin. The standard for righteousness is not what we think is right. It's what God thinks is right. And so throughout the Old Testament records, as God would raise up different men to be kings of Israel, the Bible would speak about them from God's perspective. Here's one example of a good king whose name was Asa. In 1 Kings chapter 15, verse 11, it says, And Asa did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. You know, when Cain's offering was rejected, he became angry with God. If we could interview him in that moment, I can almost guarantee he would say that there was nothing wrong with his offering. His sacrifice was right in his eyes. But the problem is man can't set the standard for themselves. God has set the standard. And so righteousness means to be right not in our eyes, not in our spouse's eyes, not in our parents' eyes. It means to be right in God's eyes. You see, self-righteousness is whenever we try to earn our own righteousness. This was the main thing that the Pharisees in Jesus' day were guilty of. That they were trying to, to earn their own righteousness by absolutely perfectly keeping the law, which none of us are capable of. And so here's what Jesus said about their own form of self-righteousness. Matthew chapter 5, verse 20, he said, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. 
I hope if you're here today, it is your goal to one day enter the kingdom of heaven. But Jesus said, unless we have a righteousness that exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, we will never enter in. And the scribes and the Pharisees, by the moral standards of their days, they were really good people. They were really, really good at keeping the letter of the law. So how are we going to get a righteousness that exceeds that? We get it by stop seeking our own righteousness and receiving the righteousness that Jesus offers as a gift. You see, when Jesus went to the cross, he paid a penalty for our sins so that we could be forgiven. These sacrifices that, that Abel brought and that Cain brought, as, as Abel uh, sacrificed that animal, it, it, was, it was a picture, like all other Old Testament sacrifices, it was a picture pointing to what God was going to do as he offered his son. And we think about the righteousness that exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees. Jesus lived that righteousness. He was absolutely perfect in every way. He never sinned in thought. He never sinned in action. He never sinned in motive. Jesus never sinned in any way. And so when he died on the cross, he paid a penalty for a debt he did not owe. And that's why his righteousness can be offered to us as a free gift. That's how we receive a righteousness that exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees. And we receive it the same way that Abel received it, by faith. We believe and we, we trust. I still remember growing up and uh, in the downstairs of our home, we had this Christmas tree and as presents just started showing up under the tree. It's an exciting time for a kid when you see presents under there. You see your name on one. And I remember looking at the shapes and trying to figure out what was there. Never ever did I think, I wonder if there's something bad in one of those boxes. <laughs> right? Did you ever think that? Of course not. Because you know the gifts were from your parents that loved you. So it never crossed our mind that there would be something bad in there. I didn't know what was in it, but I... But I knew it was going to be, it was going to be good. I knew that my parents loved me. When you come to the point in your life that you believe that God loves you, then you can receive this gift by faith. The faith, it, it's what leads us to biblical worship. We follow God's directions because we trust him, and so we obey him. It leads us to righteousness because we believe and we trust, and so we can receive the gift that he offers. But faith is also what makes us usable. The Bible says about this man, Abel, in verse 4, By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And listen to this. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. Abel has been dead for thousands of years, and yet today his faith speaks to us. Only God could take a sheep herder from one of the earliest moments in human history and use his life to speak to us today. Abel could have never understood airplanes, the internet, or cell phones. Never could he have understood our time. And yet his life still speaks to us today. Because as much as we may evolve in technology and advance in a society, the way that we relate to God is absolutely the same as it was when Adam and Eve were created and when they brought forth Cain and Abel. We come to God by faith, faith, believing and trusting that he exists. Abel died, and through his faith, he still speaks today. Cain died, and because of his lack of faith, he is still spoken about today. I want to ask you today, as you look in this passage, we think about these two brothers which one would you want to become?
You see, God has told us their stories for a reason. He's told us so that we might evaluate where our life is headed. He's told us about Abel and his great faith so that we might be inspired to believe and to live by faith. And he's told us about Cain so that we might understand where rejecting God and yielding into temptation leads. Today, it doesn't matter what you did before today. It doesn't matter what you believed before today. Today, you could receive the gift of eternal life simply by putting your faith in God. You don't have to do anything. It's a gift that he wants to give you, but you have to receive it by faith. In just a moment, we're going to use bread and juice to symbolize and to celebrate what Jesus did when he died on the cross that made it possible for us to have this gift. And so I want to ask you right now, which brother would you like to become like? We all have the potential to go on to become heroes of the faith. And friends, we all have the potential to go on to wreck our lives, destroy our marriages, embarrass our family. We all have the potential. So I urge you today to choose to live by faith. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your